Well, good evening. Um, I'm glad that you're enjoying some good fellowship. Um, I hope you're ready for a, another study. How, how many of you, show of hands, how many of you have ever gone through an entire study of Hebrews? Raise your hand. Not very many. Not very, Brother Tommy's probably preached through Hebrews. He has, yes. So I'm excited about going through this book. I, I've preached in Hebrews, but I've never preached through Hebrews or taught through Hebrews. So I'm looking forward to this. I'm looking forward to the study time uh, leading up to this. And I'm looking forward to the time we share together as we go over some of the rich uh, truths that are embedded in this book that, that many people avoid. Many people avoid this book because there's some difficult passages. So uh, I, I don't think we can do this book justice if we don't have some sort of introduction to it. As we look at historical background, key themes, thoughts, words, and passages. Let's look first at the context of Hebrews. The book was written somewhere between A.D. 33 and A.D. 70. There's something that happened in A.D. 70 that was a, a, a benchmark when it comes to New Testament. The, 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 what happened was the Romans came into Jerusalem and destroyed the temple, absolutely obliterated the temple, which ended temple worship. Now, the reason I believe that the temple was still standing when this was written, because if you'll, you'll look carefully in, in the book of Hebrews, there, there's reference to uh, the priests still serving in the temple. And so that tells me that the temple was still there. So somewhere between AD 33, when Jesus was resurre resurrected and ascended back to heaven, and AD 70, somewhere in there, the book was written. Now, as for authorship, there, there are a lot of guesses, and they are guesses, and I'm not sure all of them are educated guesses. Some people say, well, it's Paul. Some say, well, Barnabas. Some say, well, Apollos. Some say, well, well Luke. And, and just various ones. And I'm not going to waste your time or my time trying to nail down who wrote this book because I know who the ultimate author is. The ultimate author of this book is the Holy Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit inspired whoever it was that wrote on the scrolls, this book or this letter, what, however you want to frame it, the Holy Spirit gave him this message. That makes it very important to us, and it was certainly very important in the first century. The recipients of this letter uh, were Jewish believers who were being severely persecuted. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 32 to 34 says this, but remember the former days when after being enlightened, you endured a great conflict of sufferings, partly by being made a public spectacle through reproaches and tribulations and partly by becoming sharers with those who were so treated. For you showed sympathy to the prisoners and accepted joyfully the seizure of your property, knowing that you have for yourselves a better possession and a lasting one. So from the very internal uh, teaching of the book of Hebrews, we know that this group of Jewish believers were being persecuted severely. Raymond Brown in the Bible Speaks Today commentary wrote this. He said, it is clear from even a casual reading of the letter that the times were hard for Jewish Christians especially. Many of them have been exposed to fierce persecution. They have been physically assaulted. 
Their homes have been plundered. Some have been cast into prison on account of their faith. Others have been ridiculed in public because of their resolute trust in Jesus. Many of these Jewish Christians had accepted all this adversity joyfully, but others had shrunk back from their earlier allegiance to Christ and became apostates. Without going that far, others were in danger of compromise. So it's like you've got three groups of Jewish people who are listening or receiving this letter who are going through all of this. Number one, it's true believers who are being persecuted for their faith. Number two, it's, it's, it's true believers who are on the edge of compromise and going back to their Jewish heritage. And then it's a group who've already apostatized. They've already left the faith. They've already gone back into Judaism. Now, without going that far, the letter appeals to all of these severely tested believers to keep their faith firmly anchored to the moorings of truth, to maintain their steady confidence in Christ, and to press on to mature Christian stability. I would say that one of the key exhortations in this letter or book of Hebrews is the exhortation for them to keep on keeping on, to keep moving forward in their faith, to keep maturing in their faith, to stay close to Jesus and grow in their faith. Take your Bible, look at Hebrews chapter 2 verse 1. You're going to need your Bible tonight, so have it handy, okay? For this reason, we must pay closer attention to what we have heard so that we do not drift away from it. Chapter 3, verse 6, the Bible says, But Christ was faithful as a son over his house, whose house we are. If, look at this, if we hold fast our confidence and the boast of our hope firm until the end. And then chapter 6, verse 1. Chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. So this idea of pressing on, of enduring in your faith is a very key thought that is is, is uh, weaved in and out of this letter of Hebrews in just about every chapter. Now, it's also found in the Bible, in, in 1 Corinthians, other parts of the Bible. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, look at that, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 58. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your toil is not in vain in the Lord. This idea of persevering in the faith, of enduring in your faith, even in the face of difficulty, even in the face of persecution, is found throughout the New Testament. And you know, that's not just a word for the Jewish believers of the first century. That's a word to the to the believers at Carnival First Baptist Church. We've got to press on. We've got to keep on keeping on and not turn our backs on Jesus and not turn our backs on the faith. Can I tell you this? The Bible prophesies that as we near the return of Christ, you've heard me say this umpteen times, but it, I need to say it because it's, it's in the Bible. The Bible says that persecution is going to become a very real reality as we move closer to the time of Christ's coming. Now, here's the question. What will you do? Will you cave in? Will you compromise? Will you buy into the lies of the enemy? Will you be more concerned about your safety and your security as opposed to your commitment to Christ? That's a question you've got to answer. But I can tell you, as we go through the book of Hebrews, we're going to have this pounded into our spirits and hearts time after time after time again.
So let's look at the theme of Hebrews. If I had to nail the theme down to one concise thought, it would be the supremacy of Jesus. The supremacy of Jesus. In fact, the word better is used 13 times in this book as, the, as the, the writer points to the superiority or supremacy of Jesus and his salvation as opposed to the Hebrew Jewish legal system. At strategic points in this book, the son's status as being at the right hand of God the Father in heaven is mentioned. We meet the exalted son in the first opening verses, and we'll look at these in just a moment. We're going to look at verses 1 through 3 tonight, hopefully if we get to them. And the fact is, Jesus is seated. Now, think about that. Jesus is seated. Look at Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Hebrews chapter 8, verse 1. Now, the main point in what has been said is this. We have such a high priest. By the way, Hebrew just makes the point over and over again how Jesus is a better high priest than the Jewish high priest. Over and over again. And it says here in chapter 8, verse 1, now the main point in what is being said is this. We have such a high priest who has taken his seat at the right hand of the throne of the majesty in the heavens. Now, you, you say, well, what's so big about that? Well, when it says that Jesus took his seat as a high priest, you've got to understand that in the Jewish system, the high priest never took a seat. In fact, there were no seats in the temple. There was no seats in the holy place. There was no seats in the holy of holies. When he seats, why? Now, now think about this. Why could the high priest not sit down or the priest sit down in the temple? It's because they were always offering sacrifices. Just one after the other, one after the other, one after the other. It, it was, it was 24-7. It was always offering sacrifices. And then, and I don't want to give too much right now, but in just a few moments, we look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. You're going to see a difference, and I'm not going to give it away right now. I just want to get your attention a little bit and make you hungry for it, okay? Now, to sum up this thought of the superiority or supremacy of Jesus, I love what MacArthur stated. He said, this letter begins with the general superiority or supremacy of Christ to everyone and everything. A kind of summary of the whole epistle in the first three verses. Next comes the superiority of Christ to angels. Then the superiority of Christ to Moses. The superiority of Christ to Joshua the superiority of Christ to Aaron and his priesthood, the superiority of Christ to the old covenant, the superiority of Christ's sacrifice to old sacrifices, the superiority of Christ's faithful people to all the faithless, and the superiority of Christ's testimony to that of any other. This teaches, this teaches the total, complete, absolute superiority and supremacy of the Lord Jesus Christ. We, do you think that's a message we need to hear today? The total, absolute supremacy of Jesus over everyone and everything. You know, my prayer is that when we walk away from this study, whenever we finish, okay, when we walk away from this study, we would be in absolute awe of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's the purpose of this study. Now, here I've got the primary exhortation of the Hebrews being that of enduring their faith. Now, let me just point out uh, a, a passage to you. Turn to Hebrews chapter 12. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 2 and 3. Well, let's look at verse 1 through 3. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding us, 
Let us lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles us. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before you. You see that? Let us run with what? Endurance. In other words, keep on keeping on. The race that is set before us, fixing our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of the faith, of the faith who for the joy set before him, what did he do? He endured the cross. He endured the cross, despising the shame and has sat down, here it is again, has sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who has what? Has endured such hostility by sinners against himself so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So this repetition of the word endure or endured is found throughout this book. The idea of keep on keeping on, keep your faith, keep pressing into Jesus no matter what's happening in, with your circumstances and no matter what's happening as it relates to persecution. I hope and pray if we walk away from here with any message tonight, I hope and pray that we walk away with this message of endurance. Endure. Keep on keeping on. Stay close to Jesus. Don't let any, anything distract you or deter you from walking with Christ and serving Christ and growing in Christ. So let's look at the relevance of Hebrews for just a moment. Now, in an age of pluralism, you know what pluralism is, right? It's the idea that there are many ways you can go to heaven. There are many ways to be saved. In an age of pluralism, this letter reminds us that true salvation can only be found in the Lord Jesus Christ. We've seen that in other verses in the New Testament. John 14, 6, Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and life. No man comes to the Father but through me. And then Acts 4, 12, there, for there is no other name under heaven that's been given among men by which we must be saved. But I'll tell you, it's found all throughout this letter. In just clear, spoken, truthful language and also uh, intimated throughout this, this book. This letter asserts that Jesus did not die simply as a willing martyr for a good cause. He died in our place. And without the shedding of his blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. Christ's death was a saving sacrifice, essential for man's redemption. Now, there's a, a, another key relevant series of thoughts here in this book of Hebrews. And, and it, it, it's, it's based on two words, let us. Let us. Look at chapter 4, verse 1. Chapter 4, verse 1. Therefore, let us fear if while a promise remains of entering his rest, any one of you may seem to have come short of it. Look at chapter 4, verse 11. Therefore, let us be diligent to enter that rest so that no one will fall through following the same example of disobedience. Look at verse 16 of chapter 4. Therefore, let us draw near with confidence to the throne of grace so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time to need. Let us draw near with confidence. Let us. And then look at chapter 6, verse 1. Therefore, leaving the elementary teaching about the Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God. Look at Chapter 10, verse 22. Chapter 10, verse 22. 
By faith, Joseph, when he was dying, made mention of the exodus of the sons of Israel. Ah, that's the wrong verse. Chapter 10, I'm in chapter 11, excuse me. It helps to be in the correct chapter. Chapter 10, verse 22. Let us draw near with a sincere heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled clean from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us. Look at verse 23 of chapter 10. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And there again, as a let us, but the emphasis is on, 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 on keep on keeping on, be mature, keep growing spiritually, keep pressing into Jesus. Look at verse 24. Let us consider how to stimulate one another to love and good deeds. Another let us. Chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we have so great a cloud of witnesses surrounding, let us also lay aside every encumbrance and the sin which so easily entangles, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before. Let us. Look at chapter 12, verse 28. Therefore, since we receive a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us show gratitude by which we may offer to God an acceptable service with reverence and awe. Look at chapter 13, verse 15. Through him then let us continually offer up a sacrifice of praise to God that is the fruit of lips that give thanks to his name. Now you say, Pastor, why are you going over all of these let us's? Because I can tell you this, when you're studying the Bible, if you can find some key little thoughts that keep repeating themselves in that book of the Bible that you're studying, I'm telling you, it's like the Holy Spirit is shining a spotlight and is inviting you to study and see what that means for you. It would behoove each one of us to take all of these let us's and study them and see how they apply to us in this moment in this particular time in history. I would encourage you to do that. I love to find these little nuggets like that, these let us's and stuff like that. Now, finally, I want to show you that there are five warnings in the book of Hebrews, five warnings. The first warning, and I won't read all this scripture, we'll be here till the cows come home. Number one, don't drift away. It's a severe warning. Chapter 2, verses 1 to 4. You can read these when you get home. Number 2, don't harden your hearts. Chapter 3, verse 7 through chapter 4, verse 2. Also, don't remain immature, chapter 5, verse 11 to chapter 6, verse 12. Don't despise God's grace, chapter 10, verse 19 to 39. If you've never read chapter 10, 19 to 39, I'll tell you, it'll grow hair on your back, I promise you. It is a severe warning. Let's just turn over there just a minute. Go, go, go to... Uh, Hebrews chapter 10, last part of it here, I think. Let me find it. Look at verse 29. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot the Son of God and has regarded as unclean the blood of the covenant by which he was sanctified and has insulted the spirit of grace. Wow. What a warning. And then number five, don't refuse to listen to God. Chapter 12, verse 14 to 29. Once again, these five warnings in the book of Hebrews, 
would be worthy of your study. For you to study them, read them, uh, see what they mean to you, see what God is saying to you through, look at them contextually, because each one of these warnings is in a, a, a little bit different context. And, and you got to make sure you get the context right if you're going to get the interpretation right, okay? So, with, with this little introduction being completed, Let's have a word of prayer and let's just ask the Holy Spirit to just fill our minds and hearts with the beauty of Jesus tonight, okay? Heavenly Father, I thank you that the Holy Spirit inspired the author of this book, whoever he was, to write this amazing book. And Heavenly Father, I pray that the same Holy Spirit who inspired the author to write this would enable us to understand it. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will help us to apply what we study tonight to our own lives and that you would use it to really challenge us and to help us be the men and women that you've called us to be. Lord, we love you. I ask you to help me. I ask that the Holy Spirit would speak through me. I pray that Jesus, the Son of God, who is supreme over everything and everyone would be glorified and exalted tonight. And I pray that we'd walk away from here tonight with a profound joy in our heart over who Jesus is and what he's doing for us. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's look at Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2 as we get started tonight. Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. God, now notice, most of the letters, most of the epistles have a salutation where Paul says, grace and peace to you, you know, all that kind of stuff. There's no salutation here. In fact, as I was studying, some of the scholars say this is such an unusual book in the Bible because there's parts of it that do not read like an epistle or a letter and there are parts of it that, that does, does read like a, an epistle or a letter. But, but the one thing we know for sure, every word in Hebrews chapter 1 all the way to chapter 13 is the Word of God. It's the Word of God. Therefore, it, 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 it's very important that we study it and we try to milk it for everything God wants us to get out of it. So God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets in many portions and in many ways. Now, who do you think he's talking about there? He's talking about the Old Testament, right? That's the Old Testament. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways. What does that mean? In many portions and in many ways. God spoke in a lot of different ways in the Old Testament. God spoke through visions. God spoke through parables. God spoke in many different, God spoke by, by just, just speaking to Abraham. He spoke to Moses. He spoke to the children of Israel from Mount Sinai. They heard the voice of God. There are many ways that God spoke in the Old, Old Testament. So God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets in many portions, in many ways, in these last days, that you, you say, well, Pastor, what, what does the Bible mean when it talks about the last days? Let me define the last days for you. The last days began when the Lord Jesus was crucified, resurrected, and ascended to heaven. From that point forward is considered the last days. For us to say that we're living in the last days, we are not stretching the truth one iota. We are living in the last days. But I want you to understand something. These Jewish Christians who were, were on, the, on the cusp of compromise, they were living in the last days too. So the Bible says, 
in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, to whom also he made the world. Now, look, we, we live in a culture that places a high value on communication. Look, you see these things right here? Do you know why we have these? It's because we want to communicate with people, okay? If I want to talk to Darlene and, and, and we're not together in person, I can call her on this phone and we can talk, okay? Um, so think about uh, businesses. Businesses spend kajillions of dollars to advertise, to persuade people to buy their products, right? So some of those commercials are so corny. But I guess it causes some people to buy them. You know what drove me crazy during the, the bowl games? It seemed like the same commercials were on all the time. This, this commercial where, where this uh, flight attendant got Lily over here and she got a friend, you know, and, and uh, she wants a, a, a meal and, well, that's, it'll cost you 23 bucks. Or, or, well, just give me a, a thing of water. Well, it costs you ever how much she said. And I'm thinking to myself, is that going to cause me to buy a phone? Because it's all about Lily and the phone, right? It wouldn't cause me to buy a phone, I promise you. Because it drives me absolutely nuts to see it over and over and over again. And then politicians. Politicians are always crafting their message, right? They, they do stump speeches and they go here and they go there and they go there and they're crafting their message, okay? Why? Because they want to communicate to the electorate because they want the electorate's vote, right? And think about marriages. One of the main causes of problems in marriage is a lack of communication. Communication is so important in all the realms we've just mentioned and even more. But for us to know anything about God, listen to this, this is important. For us to know anything about God, he has to tell us. You're not going to get it from your, from your own ingenuity or your own brain. I promise you that. That's not going to happen. He has to tell it. Whether he tells us through the glory of a beautiful sunset or whether he tells us through the word of God or whether he tells us through a, a Christian friend who speaks into our lives, whatever it is, friend, if we want to know anything about God, God has to reveal it to us. That was true in the first century. That was true in the days of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. It's true in all times for human beings. The first verses here of Hebrews highlights the ultimate communication. The one true God has communicated with the human race through his word in the Bible and through his son Jesus. Do you realize what a monumental blessing that is to us. God has chosen to speak. Now, I have never in my life heard the audible voice of God. But you know what? I've been in my quiet time reading my Bible, and I've heard the voice of God loud and clear. How? From the Word of God. That's why it's so important that we read and study the Bible on a consistent basis because God speaks to us. He directs us. He says, this is what I want you to do. This is not what I want you to do. God speaks to us through the word of God. But look at this. The one true God has communicated with the human race through his word in the Bible. But by the way, I love our core value. You've heard me say it a thousand times. The Bible is our final source for faith and practice. That's true of us as a church. That should be true of every believer in this church. The Bible. You say, Pastor, you believe the Bible? I do believe the Bible. 
I believe it's truth without mixture of error. I believe the Bible reveals the truth about God and the truth about ourselves and the truth about the world. Look at this. But God has not only spoken and revealed himself through his word in the Bible, but also through his son, Jesus. God became a man himself and entered into our box, entered into our world so he could communicate to us. Take your Bible, look, look at John's gospel. In fact, you might want to just put a marker there in John chapter 1. John chapter 1. By the way, I'm starting a series of a sermons Sunday, and we're going through from John chapter 1, verse 1, all the way to about the middle of chapter 13, where I started the last series in John. I, I preached the middle of John, uh, John 13 all the way to the end of, of chapter uh, 21, and now we're starting in 1-1, and we're going to where I started last time. One of my, one of my, my bucket list goals is to teach through Hebrews and to teach through the gospel of John verse by verse. And so I'm knocking off some bucket list goals, but don't think you're getting rid of me that quick now when we get through, okay? I, I, I promise you I'll retire when Jesus says retire, okay? All right. All right, the author of this book wrote under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. I cannot impress that upon you enough. Now look, in, in, in verses 1 and 2 and 3 of, of uh, Hebrews, The author, the Holy Spirit, reveals eight things about Jesus. Eight things. I want you to see them here. Number one, he reveals that Jesus is God's perfect prophet. Was Isaiah a perfect prophet? Do this. No. Was Jeremiah a perfect prophet? Was Ezekiel a perfect prophet? No. There's no such thing as a perfect prophet except the Lord Jesus Christ. God spoke through the prophets at various times and in different ways. And, and look at 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. All Scripture, now what does all Scripture include? Old Testament, New Testament. In fact, we just got through with a series for Christmas where we, we just lived in the Old Testament for several weeks. And we looked at those four names for the Messiah there in Isaiah chapter 9. And we just unpacked those four names. So for several weeks, we lived in the Old Testament. Why, Why would we live in the Old Testament for several weeks during Christmas? Because it's the Word of God. Now, there, there are those in our culture today who fill pulpits who have rejected the Old Testament. I'll tell you this, I'm not going to reject anything in this book, okay? Not going to do it. I believe the Old Testament is just as much the Word of God as the New Testament. So I want you to understand that when we get into Hebrews, we're not in some kind of contest to see, well, uh, the Old Testament is inferior and the, 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 the New Testament is superior and all this kind of stuff. Let me tell you something. Jesus preached from the Old Testament. Paul preached from the Old Testament. Okay? Now, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17. All Scripture is inspired by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be adequate, equipped for every good work. The Jewish believers who are being hounded and persecuted needed to reaffirm their confidence in God who had spoken to them through Scripture and through His Son. Uh, you, think about this. If you're going through persecution, if you're being rejected, if your houses are being confiscated, if you're being beaten to within an inch of your life, you say, Pastor, do you believe that 
kind of stuff could really happen. It's happening in the world today. It, listen, I, I, I do not understand why our government will not name Nigeria as a, a terrorist state, a, 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 a persecutor of Christians. Man, they are killing Christians left and right. And let me tell you something. If you're going through stuff like that, you need to have something to lean on that won't fall. You need to have something that will support you and not leave you laying in the floor in a fetal position. I tell you, that's the word of God. That's the word of the living God. Think about this. If you're going through something difficult like that, something dangerous like that, to know that you can get in the Word of God and you can read some of the stuff we're reading tonight and you can read 1 Corinthians 15, 58 and you can read John 3, 16 and you can read Hebrews 4, 16 through 18. I'm telling you, friend, if you, if 14 through 16, excuse me. If you can read stuff like that, I'm telling you, it will just help you and encourage you and give you the courage to keep on keeping on and stay true to Jesus no matter what it might cost you. When you read stuff like this, Paul said, for to me to live is Christ and to die is what? Gain. I'll tell you, it'll encourage you. It'll help you to stand up when you need to stand up and it'll help you to be committed when you're being tempted to compromise. Now, look at this. In Christ, God spoke perfectly and decisively. Jesus is God's greatest prophet with a powerful message for these last days. Now, here, here's another thing that these, these three verses reveal. Jesus is not only God's perfect prophet, but Jesus is God's son. He's God's son. Look, look at uh, verse uh, 1 and 2 again. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. The Bible says right here that Jesus is God's son. Now, the Christology, the study of Jesus, the study of Christ is so comprehensive in the book of Hebrews. And that's a good thing for us. Because if you were to go out into Carnival today, if you go into a a mall or, or a place where there's a lot of people, and you start asking people, who is Jesus? You're going to get some weird answers. I promise you. You're going to get some weird answers. But I want you to know that, that, that the Bible says that Jesus is God's only begotten son. You know what that speaks to? It speaks to his deity. It's saying, I want you to understand that Jesus is not just an impressive leader. He's not just a, a compassionate healer. He's not just a, the epitome of a rabbi. I'm telling you, Jesus is that and much more. Jesus is God in the flesh. He's the son of God. He is God. Listen, when Jesus was walking on water, that was God walking on water. When Jesus told Lazarus to come out of the grave, that was God telling Lazarus to come out of the grave. When the woman with the issue of blood came up behind him, she wasted all of her money on doctors, and she came up behind him. She just touched the hem of his garment. And she was instantly healed. I want you to know that was God that healed her. God healed her. God in human flesh. Hebrews 10.29, we read it a minute ago. But just think about this. How much severe punishment do you think he will deserve who has trampled underfoot who? 
the Son of God. I'll tell you, it is a dangerous thing to do to reject Jesus. Because when you reject Jesus, you are rejecting the Son of God, God's only Son. There is no salvation for anyone who refuses to acknowledge that Jesus is the Son of God. Number three, we see here in these verses, Jesus is God's appointed heir. In these last days, God has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things. The Lord Jesus will inherit the earth. And he will inherit the entire universe and anything and everything within them. In Psalm 2.8, a messianic psalm, by the way, in the what? Old Testament. The Bible says, ask of me, this is God, ask of me and I will give, surely give you the nations as your inheritance and the very ends of the earth as your possession. In Revelation 11.15, The Bible says, then the seventh angel sounded and there were loud voices in heaven saying, the kingdom of the world has become the kingdom of our Lord and of his Christ and he will reign forever and ever. Jesus is going to inherit everything. And and guess what? The Bible says that if you're a born again believer, you're a joint heir with Christ. You're a joint heir with Christ. The Bible says that that you will serve Christ for all of eternity. The Bible says that you will reign with Christ. Now try to wrap your mind around that. Oh, man, it, it makes me so ready to go to heaven. Number four, Jesus is God's creative agent. Look at verse two again. Through whom also he made the world. Wait a minute, Pastor. I thought God the Father created the world, everything. Well, yeah. But the Bible says that Jesus created everything too. So is that a contradiction? Let me ask you, is that a contradiction? Well, absolutely not. Is Jesus God? Listen, think about salvation. God planned salvation. God the Father planned salvation. God the Son provided salvation. And God the Holy Spirit produced salvation. God planned for your salvation. He planned the cross. He planned the resurrection. He planned the ascension. God the Son went to the cross and became sin for you that you might become the righteousness of God in him. And the Holy Spirit of God takes that massive gospel truth, reveals it to a sinner who needs a Savior, and helps that sinner to understand, convicts that sinner of sin, shows that, convinces that, that sinner that Jesus is who he said he is, that he is the Savior of the world, and the only hope for that sinner, and that sinner repents and believes in Jesus and the Holy Spirit produces or causes that person to be born again. Now take your Bible, turn over to John again. I'm sorry. John chapter 1. You're going to hear this again Sunday, by the way. Look look at verse 1. In the beginning was the Word, that's referring to Jesus, and the Word was with God, and the Word what? Word was God. Jesus is God. He was in the beginning with God. He's eternal in nature. Eternal. He has neither beginning nor ending. Look at verse 3. All things came into being through him. Who's the him? It's Jesus. And apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. He created everything. God the Father chose to use his son as a creative agent of everything. 
Raymond Brown observed the author takes his readers directly from Christ's destiny in the future to his role in the beginning of creation. He is at pains to emphasize that the Lord we have trusted was no mere Galilean preacher. He shared actively in the creative work of Almighty God, surely a Christ whose hands had shaped the universe and summoned the galaxy of stars into being could hold these Jewish Christians in days of testing and guide their steps through times of adversity. Paul wrote in Colossians 1, 15 and 16, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him, Jesus, all things were created, both in the heavens and on the earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. Now, number five, look at this. Jesus is God's personified glory. Look at verse 3, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 3. And he is the radiance of his glory. He's the radiance of his glory. For the Jewish people, the glory of God was a visible expression of the majestic presence of God. Did anybody in the Old Testament ever witness the glory of God? Do this. Yep, they did. In fact, the whole nation witnessed the glory of God. You read about it there in, in Exodus 24, 15 to 17. Then Moses went up to the mountain and the cloud covered the mountain. The glory of the Lord rested on Mount Sinai and the cloud covered it for six days. And on the seventh day, he called to Moses from the midst of the cloud and to the eyes of the sons of Israel, the appearance of the glory of the Lord was like a consuming fire on the mountaintop. 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 6. What about us? Do we, ever, do we ever witness the glory of God? Look at 2 Corinthians 4, 6. For God who said light shall shine out of darkness is the one who has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Wow. The author of Hebrews reminds these Jewish believers that nowhere in all of creation has the glory of God been more perfectly manifest than in the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Look, go back to John again. John chapter 1. Look at verse 14. And the word became flesh. It was incarnated. And dwelt among us, and we saw his glory. John said, we saw his glory. We saw his glory. A visible manifestation of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Glory is of the only begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. Jesus, number six, Jesus is God's perfect revelation. Look at chapter one, verse three again. He is the radiance of his glory. Now look at this. And the exact representation of his nature. The exact representation of his nature. In other words, Jesus is a perfect copy of God. The image here is of a stamp, like a a rubber stamp, okay? You got a rubber stamp, and the image is applied to a legal document or a coin. Whatever the stamp is, the imprint is, right? Here's the point. If someone wants to see God, they must look to Jesus. If someone wants to know God, they got to know Jesus to know God. Number seven, I'm hurrying. I, I'm, I'm hurried through here. Number seven, Jesus is God's cosmic sustainer. Look what it says in verse three again. He is the radiance of his glory, the exact representation of nature. And look at this, and upholds all things by the word of his power. Have you ever wondered why the moon 
doesn't get out of orbit? Have you ever wondered why earth is still tilted at 23 degrees? Have you ever wondered why we don't inch a little bit closer to the sun and put ourselves in danger of becoming crispy critters? Or moving further away from the sun and become frozen, the frozen chosen? Have you ever wondered that? Do you know that the Lord Jesus, according to the Bible, is the one that holds everything together, all of creation? Man, how could we not love him? How could we not be in awe of him? Every Jew, listen, every Jew believed that God kept the entire universe in the hollow of his hand. You read that in Isaiah chapter 40, verses 12 to 26. These Jewish believers were in danger of drifting away from Christ because their vision of him was restricted. Look at that little statement I've got highlighted here. These first century believers would be less likely to turn from him in adversity if they had looked to him in adoration. Wow. Number eight, Jesus is God's unique sacrifice. Look, look at what it says in verse three. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. It's important to note here that Jesus is ceaselessly the radiance of his glory and continuously upholds all things by the word of his power. However, when it comes to, to the, uh, 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 making pur purification of sins and set down at the right hand of the majesty on high, there is no repetition. There is, there is no need for ever doing that ever again. It's a finished deal, right? In Hebrews 7, 27 the Bible says, who does not need daily like those high priests to offer up sacrifice, speaking of Jesus, first for his own sins and then for the sins of his people because this he did once for all when he offered himself. When our Lord finished his redeeming work through the cross and the resurrection, he ascended to heaven and sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. His work was finished. So here in verses 1 to 3, we have seen Jesus as prophet, the final spokesman for God. We've seen him as priest, atoning and interceding for our sins, for us. And we've seen him as king, controlling, sustaining, and seated on the throne next to the Father in heaven. This is our Lord Jesus Christ. I put something here for you to read. We've run out of time. I, I just want to encourage you. Read, read through the book of Hebrews. Read through it several times. Next Wednesday, we're going to come back and we're going to pick up with verse, verse uh, uh, 4. And we're going to speed up next week, okay? Hopefully, hopefully, I can finish chapter one next week. You pray for me, okay? But the, I, look, I am not going to sacrifice wonderful truths for time. I'm not going to do it. It, it. I won't keep you late. We'll just go until next Christmas if we need to, whatever. So thank you for being here tonight, and, and, and I hope and pray that, that I can tell you that you will get out of this what you put into it. So put something into it. It's too rich and too rewarding to, to halfway approach it, okay? Thank you. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank you so much for our Lord Jesus. We thank you, Lord that you are the son of God. We thank you that you are the perfect prophet, that you're the heir of all things, that you made the world, that you are the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his nature, that you uphold all things by the word of your power.
We thank you, Lord, that you purified uh, us of sin when you died on the cross and shed your blood for our sins. And you sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. You are our king, our prophet, and our priest, and we bless you and praise you. Oh, Lord Jesus, help us to glorify you. Help us to learn more about you than we've ever learned before. Help us to love you more than we've ever loved you. Help us to press into you more than we've ever pressed into you before. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen.